I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this is Inside Kurdistan. So I'm really bad at yoga, and I'm bad at meditation, uh, and I can't focus, and I'm not flexible. And for this and probably a few other reasons, uh, I've never really gotten into the wellness scene, as it were. Uh, I've always kind of rolled my eyes at that community, to be honest. Uh, I picture sort of live, laugh, love posters and man buns and uh, body odor mixed with the incense. And I know that's a completely unfair projection. Uh, But I think it's kind of a common reason why people don't oftentimes get into the topic of mind-body connection and understanding how our nervous system is affected by trauma and experience. Uh, And it's something that I've been trying to work on. Uh, So if you're a person who also kind of keeps that whole subculture at arm's length, this is weirdly probably a good episode for you. Uh, Today, I'm talking with Brenda Hershey of TriGlobal, which is an NGO here that uses Trauma Recovery Yoga, T-R-Y, that's where the acronym comes from, uh, to help beneficiaries who have survived conflict uh, and manage their post-traumatic stress uh, through what is called somatic therapy, which is something we're going to discuss in this episode. Somatic therapy is essentially focused on training the body to regulate itself by focusing on the naturally occurring cycles that our nervous system goes through in, uh, in terms of feeding signals to our brain and vice versa. And it's kind of treated as a, a new agey sort of science, but it's, it's been a known and well-discussed topic uh, uh, in biology and medicine for centuries. So what I really like about Brenda was her adherence to keeping our talk focused on the intricacies of the nervous system and trauma and how it applies to helping displaced people and survivors of conflict and just other people in general uh, 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 regulate themselves and, and, and be healthier, happier people. And so with that explanation out of the way, here's Brenda. Let's go. Let's take a deep breath in. I'm so sorry. That was a... Oh my God, wait, no. Are you recording? I am recording. Okay, wait, let's ground real quick. You want to ground? Yeah, real quick. All right, take, explain to the audience what that is. Grounding. Literally noticing our connection to the ground, just a tool to help bring us into the room, bring us into our bodies before we get started. All right. Okay, super simple. Okay. All right, so just uh, drop your chin toward your chest. Okay. Either close your eyes or soften your gaze, breathing in and out of your nose. Feel your feet on the floor, your body, the weight of your body against the chair the weight of your hands on your legs. Inhale and exhale, letting your shoulders drop down. And whenever you're ready, blinking your eyes open. Yellow. Hi, Brenda. Hey. Excellent intro. I think that might be the best intro we've ever had for a interview here. Amazing. Yeah. So take me through what grounding is and how that begins uh, the somatic therapy process. Why don't we just start Mm -hmm. with that? Great. So grounding is one of the four pieces of self-regulation that we teach and practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, The four pieces are orientation, finding yourself in your space, grounding, just noticing your connection to the ground, centering, noticing any sensations inside the body, uh, specifically in the core, and then breath. And together, these four pieces, we've pieced together. Uh, We didn't invent any of them, but we've pieced them together in a really unique way. We call them self-regulation for resilience, or SRR. 
And this is the foundation of all of our body-based practices for recovery and resilience. All right. Yeah. So this is all based on creating sort of a uh, process that can connect your nervous system to sort of uh, issues with trauma that may affect you subconsciously, if, I, if I'm saying this correctly. I don't really have the proper vocabulary for this, mm-hmm. but that's keep why going. I have you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, keep yeah. going. Oh, no. Take it from here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So try is trauma recovery yoga. We also mm-hmm. call it total resilience yoga because regardless of your experience with trauma, uh, we are actively self-regulating. So you during our practices, you are recovering, let's say, or integrating from traumas uh, and building resilience at the same time, so better abling yourself to handle stress or trauma in the future. So where the nervous system comes into play is, uh, you know, during a traumatic event, just understanding the one, two, threes of a traumatic event Mm -hmm. and what happens physiologically are really... Uh, It's really empowering information that we provide to our our trainees and our participants. So if you sense, even sense uh, something dangerous or or you feel fearful, your body within seconds will respond. It will activate the sympathetic branch of the nervous system. So this is the fight, flight, or freeze. Okay. And within seconds, our bodies are wired for survival. Like this is how we have... uh, survived mm-hmm. up till now humans well all, um, all animals to a certain extent correct uh yes yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. uh so within seconds of uh sensing something dangerous even if it's like a, a stick right i mentioned this i think it's a good example a stick on the ground and you think it's a snake mm-hmm. your body reacts the same way as if a car is driving toward you mm-hmm. on the sidewalk okay and it can be anything yes yeah yeah, and uh, the you know duration of a trauma, whether it's ongoing or one time, uh, and the intensity level will vary, but our nervous systems are objectively responding the same way. Okay. So it's activating the sympathetic nervous system, and what that looks like is uh, a a rush of stress hormones will flood your body almost instantaneously, uh, and every organ of mm-hmm. your body will respond. So your pupils dilate, so you can take in more. Your heart will beat faster. The blood will move to the more uh, the major muscles, so you're able to confront that danger or run away. Mm-hmm. And so, if so, that's what happens during a traumatic event. And if you don't have the tools to process that rush of stress hormones and to come back down to a healthy baseline, let's say to re-regulate your nervous system uh, or just to calm back down. Mm. then uh, you hold on to some of that in your body. Your body remembers that. And so what we do with the self-regulation and with all of our practices is um, we provide tools and we practice tools to help continuously rebalance the nervous system. Yeah. So we can get into your courses in a second, and okay. I, or a few minutes rather, uh, but let's really start with when you first discovered sort of this whole process and what sort of attracted you to it. Uh, because, and I mean, not you as like a founder of this organization, you personally, uh, mm-hmm. let's go back all the way to Chicago. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Take me, take me through sort uh, of Chicago. Oh, Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, I have been practicing yoga for more than a decade. I found it very healing and calming for me. And when I found try, it was really by, I was in a really dark place in my life. And uh, I'd just been fired from a job, broken up with a boyfriend. And I was like, you know, I think we've all been in these like dark nights of the soul where 
yeah. Where <laughs> I've never been fired from a job and broken up by my boyfriend. But within I, days, yeah, within it was, days, that's, it was crazy. Only, yeah, only time that's happened, by the way. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I was really seeking like, uh, I was getting my master's degree at the time, Mm -hmm. but I was really seeking something more meaningful to pursue. And so I was just researching. That's when I found the study abroad program that I ended up doing a year later and I found trauma recovery yoga. Okay. They were based in Las Vegas and I was in Chicago. So I, I sent an email to the general email and I was like, Hey, I love what you're doing. I really really loved how they married yoga, which had been so healing for me, and bringing it specifically to trauma survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent this email, and I got a response, and I had a call with the founder, Joyce, who is like family and a mentor and and all of that okay. now. Uh, and she was like, and I was in Chicago, so I was like, I don't know how I can support you or what I can do at all, but I'm here, <laughs> FYI. And so we ended up, um, I ended up volunteering to start, and I volunteered for a few months. I helped them market their trainings, helped them go national, and then I began, and then I got a full-time job with them Mm -hmm. that we kind of co-created, and I began traveling the U.S. and training to become a trainer with the founders. So let's talk about sort of, you know, your breakup and losing a job and sort of this dark night of the soul period. How did that affect your body? How did that affect, like, let's talk about sort of the stress uh, relief or stress symptoms that you needed to relieve Mm -hmm. uh, through yoga. And how did you go about doing that? How did you go about, like, learning that personally? Mm, You know, I don't know if anyone's ever asked me about the connection of how that was right before I found Try. But I think um, maybe a reason I haven't reflected on that specifically so much is because I didn't really have the language Mm. for what I felt was happening. Now I do. And soon after, I did, right? I knew what was happening in my body, which is so empowering, right? It's a huge step, yes. Yes, and that's also one of the reasons why part of what we do here in Kurdistan and in the Middle East with our programs is we're not just training yoga instructors, training tri-instructors, mm-hmm. but we are um, we are elaborating on all of the science. We're simplifying it as much as possible, and we are teaching people what's happening in the body during trauma, during the class, in like every posture um so at the time so let me answer your question yeah yeah um well i i remember specifically like the actually the relationship so there were two uh the durations of these like low-key traumatic events Mm -hmm. or very stressful events were different so the relationship was an ongoing uh emotionally abusive relationship Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe the job kind of was too. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I was gonna loud, say a job can be. <laughs> it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Although it was really the, mainly the the thing that happened, which was like so crazy that it could only be the universe intervening. Mm. One of those things. Um, but yeah, no. So I definitely was holding on to stress, and I think because of this, like all of it happening at one time, because I found try so soon after, mm-hmm. that was no coincidence definitely holding on to to some stuff yeah yeah so how okay but let's talk about how that stuff affected your body Mm. let's really let's really get into like the actual nervous uh system like uh uh, what for you personally does that look like Mm. i think that'd be good for people to hear yes yeah yeah i agree 
Uh, actually, I can give another example that I feel really like clear on that happened soon after. Mm -hmm. So um, it was when after I'd been teaching the classes for about six months and I was studying trauma because I have the language for it, I guess now <laughs> it feels more clear. Right. Yeah. Um, and as we were talking about before, I'd felt s somewhat of a disconnect because I didn't feel which sounds ridiculous now because I had just gone through this dark night of the soul. Um, but I, I didn't feel I was going into homeless shelters mm -hmm. and and working with really vulnerable populations, survivors mm -hmm. of sexual violence, immigrants and refugees. So I did feel some disconnect with the practice. Like I wasn't in recovery was what I was thinking in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, these people, it seemed more clearly were um, so naively. That was my. <laughs> <laughs> so you sort of discovered was, while you were doing it. Yeah, even yeah. subconsciously. So. About six months into the studying of, of trauma and working with these people on the ground, uh, I had a series of, let's say, big T traumas. There was a series of uh, deaths of people really close to me. Mm -hmm. And the first one was uh, I was on an airplane. I was actually flying to Guatemala City to teach a tri program mm -hmm. to some women and children. And uh, landing in, I was about to land. And um, I got service on my phone and received a message that my dad had unexpectedly passed away. He had a heart attack. Uh, he raised me as a single father for most of my life. So it was super traumatic. And, and I was hyper aware of what was happening in my body because of my understanding of the physiological aspect of it and because of all these like lived experiences that I had been um, fortunately exposed to so recently. Uh, so what happened was I was sitting on this airplane seat. We were about to land. I couldn't get up. And there was this like rush of what I kn knew was stress hormones, like from the bottom, of, like from the feet, slowly moving up my body. Mm -hmm. And I was just so focused on that, that by the time it got to like my legs, I was like, breathe, you know, find your breath. I had a, f a specific story in mind of someone who I had recently met who her trauma, the stress hormones were stored in the hips, and she couldn't stand straight for like six months after her her trauma. Which this would be like a freeze reaction. Yeah, okay. yeah. So she froze mm -hmm. in hers. And up till that point, I was kind of freezing too, right? Okay. I was holding my breath, which we so often do, not just in uh, traumatic situations, but just like stressful situations, when I'm focused on my laptop, even when I'm in like flow. <clears throat> I'll find myself holding my breath or breathing really shallow, which is something we, we talk a lot about in our trainings. And when we're breathing shallow, like from the chest and not from the belly, we're signaling to the brain. So 80% of the messaging happening in our body, quick sidetrack, uh, is, is happening from the body to the brain, mm -hmm. right? And there's this constant cycle of messaging. And this is through the vagus nerve, which is the largest nerve in our body. And also, we can get into at some point, um, it helps us understand why we have to include the body in trauma recovery. So 80% of that messaging is body to brain. So if we're breathing shallow, from, just from the chest, which mm -hmm. we're so often doing, um, we're sending distress signals to the brain. And so our organs are operating in a more distressed way. So oftentimes when we're working, we're not breathe we're breathing like this and we're sending distress signals. Yes, unintentionally. Okay. Unintentionally. Yeah. So number one, you have to just be aware that that's a thing. Okay. Um, and now I am. 
Right. <laughs> well, I wasn't for the longest time. And even now I'm training, I'm teaching, I'm practicing. And I still I just I think it's not about not doing it. It's about catching yourself when you do it. I just I catch myself all the time. Mm-hmm. And the way you can change that stress loop that's happening in your body at any time. First, be aware, like notice and then take a few breaths from the belly. Mm-hmm. And you like literally, you can shift the state of your nervous system into a calmer state within like three belly breaths. Okay. And we're not taught how to breathe. This is like, like your breath is the remote control to your nervous system. And this goes, okay, again, to, and we'll get into sort of why you take such a technical approach to this, but this all goes through what's called, correct me if I'm wrong, the vagus nerve. Yes. The vagus, okay. The vagus nerve. The vagus, okay. All right. So what does this nerve, why is this nerve so centrally important towards understanding somatic therapy? Mm. So the vagus nerve, understanding it alone, mm-hmm. it, it will justify yeah, why we, why we have to use the body. Mm-hmm. So it's the largest nerve in the body. It branches from the, or it, it starts from the brain stem, branches into the face, the tongue, the throat. The, and into every major organ in your body, so through the heart, the lungs, okay. and all your internal organs, your digestive system. And it is in charge of sending messages, uh, specifically the calming messages throughout the body. And the more we can stimulate the vagus nerve, um, then it, with these practices, mm-hmm. right, then... It doesn't matter how weak or strong it might be right now. It's like neuroplasticity. It, it gives us hope like we can, um, we can improve the state okay. of the vagus nerve. So first, it's the, the body's communication superhighway. Uh, and also the second main job, sorry, of the vagus nerve. No, no it's okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like that this is a science program now. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to like... Uh, good. It, it's so much about science. Yeah. The yoga. And that's what we stress here, right? We, we say we speak science, not Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, because, uh, yeah. To, yeah, to reach people in cultures around the world, this is what this is how we meet people where they are. Well, and oftentimes yoga is sort of written off as sort of like, oh, it's this dippy hippie sort of like subculture thing of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people, you know, up going up in the mountains on these expensive retreats. And, you know, it's not to be right. taken seriously as an actual thing. But yeah. there is a as you're explaining right now, there is an actual uh, uh, way to be able to, to control your behavior through the proper like uh, cyclical breathing methods. And yes. so like that's just why I want yeah. you to take me through this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so please I, continue. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, okay, so the the second main job of the vagus nerve, besides controlling the messaging happening in the body, is to bring balance back into these two branches of the nervous system: the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. So, quick nervous system one hundred and one. Um, the sympathetic branch, you can think S for stress. Mm-hmm. It is the uh, fight flight response. Freeze is kind of another story, but on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you sense fear or danger or whatever, as we already talked about, like it activates the sympathetic branch. Uh, the On the other side, parasympathetic, you can think para for parachute, like coming down. Okay. Um, so it's the rest and digest. And so we obviously don't want to be stuck in a sympathetic state, like in a stressed out state. Mm-hmm. And all of our organs operating from a stressed state. It's like so much more than it's like just the tip of the iceberg to think, oh, I feel stressed. Like, you know, what's all happening? Like your entire body is 
operating from that state when you're stressed, right? Um, and then, but we also don't want to be in a super zen out, calm state all the time mm -hmm. because it's not functional, right? We need a balance. We need to be able to, if I'm walking down the sidewalk, just walking home, you know, be in a predominantly parasympathetic state. But then if I see a car driving toward me or a little too close, uh, you know, you you want your body to activate the sympathetic branch so that you can respond quickly. Mm -hmm. So we want to find this this balance and we can measure, oh, that's, that's the job of the vagus nerve, is to bring balance back into the nervous system. And we can measure the state of the vagus nerve with HRV, heart rate variability. Okay. So we know we can measure heartbeats per minute, but it, heart rate variability is the amount of space between each heartbeat. And you might think that we want the same amount of space, right, like consistency, mm -hmm. but actually we want higher variability, uh, like different ranges of space, because that indicates that you are more quickly able to jump from one branch to the other as needed. Okay. So the higher the HRV, the higher, the, the stronger your vagus nerve and your nervous system are. It works in sync with the nervous system. So in the research we've done here, we measured um, a, a few things, one of them being HRV, and participants, I, I can't tell you the exact statistics right now, but there was an incredible improvement in their HRV from the beginning of the eight weeks to the end practicing trauma recovery yoga. How much of that goes into the practice of actual yoga for your participants and how much of that goes into, because you mentioned this before, is having the actual knowledge and vocabulary behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's considered like new-ish science in mm -hmm. the West. So here we did a training with social workers and psychologists recently, uh, and none of them had heard of this. Mm. So it's really an honor to be able to come here and educate people on this. Um, so it's a great question. All of the postures, nearly all of the postures in the practice have been really intentionally chosen to stimulate the vagus nerve. Okay. Yeah. Uh, as well, our classes are very tutorial. Uh, so first we'll talk about the classes and then the trainings. Uh, in the classes, it's very tutorial. So as we do neck rolls, we move, uh, you know, we roll our neck in a circle and I'm cueing the inhales and exhales. The breath is a major part of this. Um, I, I might say, like, you know, as you, as we continue with your breath, uh, as you do this, we stimulate the vagus nerve. It helps to send calming, safe messages throughout your body. And then I might mention the vagus nerve again as we forward fold and slowly roll up mm -hmm. um, because that's also another, because you really feel the effect of it mm -hmm. then. So uh, we'll say these things. We talk about neuroplasticity just here and there, like throughout the class. So if we're just going into a camp and teaching a class, they might leave with like a little a bit of information mm -hmm. that they, they didn't have before. Yeah. In our trainings, it's a lot more, we're like focusing on the science. Yeah, we're, understanding your body as a mechanism. Yeah. 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 And so uh, we're having like full in-depth conversations on vagal toning, neuroplasticity, um, and trauma-informed care, and, of course, breaking down all of our practices and, and practicing them. What have been the challenge of implementing training here? Uh, how how mm. have, has it been a struggle for people to sort of 
get their hand around sort of this, I want to call it quote unquote new science. It's really not new mm. science, but it's a new discussion. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, a yeah. very important distinction. Um, you may be surprised, but actually uh, with our approach of meeting people where they are, mm -hmm. like this conversation, if I'm doing it with a specific group outside of DeHook and uh, we're training them, you know, this, we might need to break it down a lot further. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to describe all of this, just you choose intentionally which parts are most essential and you, you know, speak to them in a way they'll receive it. Okay. Uh, so I think really just reading your audience, seeing what they're absorbing and, um, and in all of the trainings that we've done uh, here, especially because it is very different from the U.S., uh, we have had to adjust things to be more culturally appropriate, of course. We've uh, further developed our systems to be a lot more uh, inclusive and supportive uh, during and after the trainings. Mm -hmm. But regardless of the um, participants, they're always asking questions, always. And they're always so, I, I think we kind of attract people who are ready to receive this information. Mm -hmm. That's a really big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. What kinds of questions are people asking specifically i'm curious about what people like are really receptive of and what are mm. yeah um you know uh if i explain something about the vagus nerve mm -hmm. uh i'm thinking of a training in De hook where we were you know, we were really simplifying breaking things down and uh with the vagus nerve one example i use is so this messaging is is uh, constantly in a cycle, brain to body, body to brain. It's happening in our bodies constantly. And um, I, I had asked them, have you ever been in a situation where you felt really stressed out and you tried to think your way out of the situation? You were like, no, I, I don't need to be stressed out. That happened a long time ago or that a person came in and like, I don't want to see them. It's fine. I'm fine. You know, just try to think your way out of stress. I do that. <laughs> sure, we all yeah. do that, right? <laughs> yeah. So we try to really, like, find examples that are just uh, uh, relatable on the human level. Mm -hmm. And I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. And and all of them were like, yeah, yeah, totally. And, um, and I was like, yeah, so that's because the messaging is happening. It's coming from the body to the brain, 80% of it at least. Mm -hmm. So only 20%. Uh, it's is your mind influencing your body it's your body influencing your mind so what can you do in a situation like that to to come into a calmer state to mm -hmm. really start to to calm down let's say regulate the cycle to regulate your body <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly your body and your brain mm -hmm. um which if i just said how, how can we regulate our bodies and our brains it feels a lot more kind of less tangible um, and they're like, well, we can, we can breathe. That's the whole thing. Like, take three belly breaths. Mm -hmm. There you go. So I think by just um, – now I've been here a while in the Middle East. So – and I partner with locals. It's not just uh, me coming in here with, with uh, my experience from the U.S., right? right? I, I'm surrounded by an amazing team of locals. And so we use really culturally relevant uh, examples and – and all of that. So, let's get into actually some of those uh, culturally relevant examples with the trauma, uh, because there's different, mm. many different forms of trauma. Just like there's many different forms of trauma therapy. Uh, so, like for example, something you mentioned to me before was uh, a lot of sexual assault survivors will have uh, uh, the, their hips will freeze up. For example, mm -hmm. um, they and so I think this made a 
might have gone into when you mentioned freeze as a separate category. Mm. Uh, that might have something to do with that. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, what I'm curious about is how does trauma affect the body in different forms of conflict? For example, like mm -hmm. witnessing something or actively being part of something, actively being part of a conflict or sexual assault survivors or kidnapping, torture, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, so uh, I, I think trauma is objectively, when we experience a traumatic situation, so it's basically a normal reaction to an abnormal event. Mm. Um, you know, each traumatic event has, I, I mentioned this, a duration. So maybe it's a one-time event, maybe it's ongoing, maybe you're a part of it, maybe you're a bystander. Mm -hmm. uh, and the intensity level will, of course, vary. At the same time, our body will activate the, paras the sympathetic branch of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, same thing. It's going to release a flood of stress hormones and your body will respond from this distressed state. So on the one hand, we all have different ex lived experiences. Um, we're working with people with all kinds of experiences. And um, I, in our experience, uh, the, the TRI method, our practices, has, has helped people nonetheless. Actually, it was created um, by picking apart the PTSD symptoms of the creator of TRI. Mm -hmm. And she was basically treating herself with this. And then there was a huge need for it. And, and she replicated it. How have you, so. you, you talked about developing sort of a different kind of course or, or adjusting things culturally for training. How uh -huh. have you adjusted things for your courses as well? Uh, for the courses, so we sometimes separate by gender. Well, okay. for adults, we always separate by gender. Mm -hmm. And then up to like age nine. Uh, after age nine, we'll separate. <clears throat> um, we also, you know, some I am affirmations don't work here. Uh, all of our content, by the way, is translated into, uh, so it's in English. Uh, it's translated into uh, Arabic, Ukrainian, um, Kurdish, mm -hmm. soon Kermanji, but then Badini and Sarani. Okay, all right. Yeah, so because we've trained people in all of these languages, mm -hmm. so all of the... Um, resources available available to them afterwards, which is a lot, like video, text, workbooks, is in available in all of these languages. Um, so we ha always have an interpreter. The class is, you know, either taught in or interpreted in their language. But generally, I think one one thing, a small detail, but there are things like this. So in the U.S. for adults, we don't use so we use IM cards for children. So at the beginning of classes the teacher would put a card in front of each mat, and then at the beginning, the kids flip over that card, and each kid has an I am card. Okay, we work with I am affirmations as we work with neuroplasticity, this ability we have to like rewire our brain for healthier, more positive thoughts and beliefs. What is an I am affirmation? An I am affirmation, so it's a positive affirmation. Okay. Yeah, I am brave, I am beautiful, I am confident. Whatever. And as we, we, it's like planting a seed, this thought, mm -hmm. right? I'll use them throughout the class as a teacher. So the participants, they don't hear, you are beautiful. They hear, I am beautiful. I am beautiful. So even if they don't believe it at all for a while, maybe after the third class, they hear, I am beautiful. And then they go home and that thought pops into their head. So I, I see I am affirmations as like planting seeds. Does that have a direct nervous correlation as well? 
It works with neuroplasticity mainly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Let's break that word down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, this amazing ability we have to essentially rewire our brain to form new neural connections uh, for, uh, well, it can work either way, right? It could be for healthier, more positive thoughts and beliefs mm-hmm. that serve us. Or if you continue making an unhealthy decision, you're going you're gonna to rewire that way. Uh, so as we work with the, the I am affirmations, um, the idea is, yeah, we're, we're building these healthier neural pathways. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a metaphor that I like to share about neuroplasticity is you can imagine you're driving down every day, like driving home, riding, let's say, mm-hmm. on your bike, uh, down a long dirt driveway. Okay. Okay. So every day you're, you're riding home and leaving and you're creating a rut in the dirt. Mm-hmm. So these are your thoughts and your actions. Every day you're making each one is a decision, right? And your the rut gets uh, deeper and deeper, and you're more and more set in your ways. Yep. Uh, and so let's say you smoke and you want to quit smoking. So the first time that you're like you make the decision, I'm not going to smoke. You are like slowly, you know. Listeners can't see me, but you're slowly tur- turning the She's turning the, the imaginary wheel. handles of the bike. Of the bike, yes. Yeah. Um, and and you're not going to be able to, like, to get out of that rut, you're going to bounce right back. Right. Right? The second, the fifth, the 20th time. Maybe it's the 21st time that you get over that rut and you start to slowly form a new connection in your brain. A new rut. Yes. Well, <laughs> a better rut. <laughs> a new rut, a healthier yeah. rut. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that is neuroplasticity. And they scientists used to think that we could only do this until our brains were developed, like in our early 20s. Mm-hmm. But lots of studies have shown that we can do this throughout our lives. We can rewire our brain. It becomes a bit more difficult as we get older. But with the tri-classes, we work with neuroplasticity, with the I am affirmations, um, and also with the self-regulation, like, uh, you know, the consistency of it, like continuing to regulate yourself, your your body, your brain, it remembers. So you are forming these new neural pathways mm-hmm. and building muscle memory at the same time. So that um, by syncing your movement with your breath and the teachers cue every inhale and exhale. So these things like doing them so consistently can really uh, even unconsciously make a big difference in your body and your brain and your life. So you mentioned Ukrainian as a language that you were trying to develop. So I guess that brings me, I guess you're taking these courses uh, to Ukraine and other conflict zones as well. We are. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't you walk me through sort of where TRI is going next? Okay. Not just here, but everywhere, but also Mm -hmm. here. Yeah. So we have a base in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and a base here in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Um, and we will soon be launching a project in northeast Syria, partnered with Kulturvan organization, uh, which is a, a really great little culture center in Amuda. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we will also be doing a training in Jordan, uh, and we have an upcoming project in Ukraine as well. Uh, so this to begin, we'll be doing it online. We'll be reaching out to all of our uh, contacts and organizations, reaching displaced people, um, uh, staff in orphanages, and 
basically because it's online to start, we are able to serve more people before we go in person. Uh, and we'll be training them to become trauma recovery yoga instructors, mentoring them, and then, inshallah, placing them in uh, paid yoga teaching positions in their community. And this uh, structure of the program has proven really sustainable and empowering. And, yeah, it allows it to continue far after our team has left. Right. You, don't, you would never do a course online, like a, for a group, for a class. You would never do that. We do. You do that? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Does that have a different effect on people? I feel like it might. Well, you know, I think, uh, of course, there's a difference mm -hmm. in, like, in-person versus online experiences. Um, but since COVID happened, we've right. we've had so many online programs. And it's kind of – it's really cool, actually, how we're able to keep the same structure of the program because in – so in our 20-hour uh, trainings, uh, which we have in – Upcoming one in Erbil, May 26th, 27th. I'll post it in the description. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so in the trainings, the structure is that we, we do a practice, and then we talk about the science, and, you know, we have discussion, talk about the science, and then uh, the participants break out into smaller breakout groups mm -hmm. and practice breaking it down and guiding each other through it. So it's super interactive, and because of the – capabilities of zoom we do it the same way there okay. so we put them in breakout groups and we're going back and forth giving feedback and we also have uh we have a member site with video tutorial programs of all of this after the training uh lots of ongoing opportunities to meet and practice so i think because of all of these pieces it works it's effective yeah, as much as it you're is. able to hit as many different like ways as possible that's yeah. great mm -hmm. okay well, I wish you the best of luck, Brenda. I really do. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Thanks for coming in. Thanks again to Brenda for taking the time and coming to the office. I have included her information and Tri's website below. If you're interested in training or receiving care or know someone who might benefit from their services, please be sure to check them out below. Inside Kurdistan is brought to you by the Kurdistan Information Network, and you can check out our podcast on KurdistanIn.net. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us at info at KurdistanIn.net. Thanks so much. I'm Aaron Weintraub, and this has been Inside Kurdistan. Inside Kurdistan.